Well, I am really excited uh, to be here this morning as a part of this uh, series called Planting Together. And as we've shared uh, the mission of planting a church together in Minunk, the church family in Gridley, I speak on behalf of them this morning, is so excited to do this together with you all and with CBF in El Paso. Many people have said to me, yes, this is exactly what churches should be doing, working together. We, we are on the same team in the kingdom of God, so we're very excited to be working with you in this. We're also excited about what the mission is, planting in Minunk. Um, our church is a tad closer to Minunk, so we have a f- probably a few more people from Minunk that attend Christ Community and Gridley. And for about five years, our elders have been praying about and discussing planting in Minunk. And so to see this process happening is a great joy to us. We're eager to be about the work of church planting. In 2015, our church began uh, seeking to plant a church we thought was going to be in Minunk and ended up being in Shinoa that launched in 2016. And to see God's power change real lives, like, like your life and my life has been changed by Jesus Christ, is invigorating. It, it, it makes you hungry, and our church is hungry to plant more churches if the Lord wills. Just a few stories about the church in Chino before we get into God's Word this morning. Now, one of the first problems we had in 2016 was we didn't have a building to meet in. We looked everywhere in Chinoa. We, the school wasn't an option. The VFW wasn't an option. We looked in a building with broken windows and a mud basement, and that wasn't an option. And I was on top of the roof of a 30,000-square-foot factory that would have been a liability disaster and probably a money pit, and I got a phone call up there from a guy at a Presbyterian church in Chinoa that had heard uh, we wanted to plant a church somewhere there. And he said, hey, let, let's meet together and let's talk. We go to this meeting, but before we went to the meeting, Kyle, our church planter at the time, and I prayed. And I don't even know if this prayer was, was really theologically valid. <laughs> but we prayed, Lord, make them so willing to partner that they would just give us a key. And so we go to this meeting, and they say, they're, they're a very kind group of people, and they say, why don't you lead worship services here for one month, and we'll sort of date one another and just, just see how it goes. And we say, okay, sounds good. Let, let's date. Let's just, no commitments afterwards. We'll, just, we'll, we'll date. <laughs> and so we do that. And later that night, I'm at home sitting on the couch, and I get a text from one of the ladies in, in this group, and she says, hey, just want you to know I've run off some extra copies of the key. I'll just drop one off by. And I was just like, all right, Lord, maybe this is it. And so that relationship, uh, the dating went well, and we ended up getting married. And uh, they they sold us their building for $1 at at the end of it. And uh, right now, uh, today, the church is is doing well. And so they were just great. The Lord provided. But But that's just the building. And I'm not nearly as excited about the building as I am about the people. I think of one young man who uh, had, had grown up in the church but had drifted for a number of years and this new church started and he uh, was living with his girlfriend at the time and he, he showed up and started meeting with the pastor and, and explained some sexual immorality, some sexual addiction and started confessing his sin and, and being discipled by the pastor 
and he got in a recovery program and ended up getting married to this woman, uh, free from, by God's grace, from that addiction. And now he's leading our men's uh, ministry over there. And he is, to use a little, little Christianese, he's on fire for the Lord. He is born again. And I think if, if today the church in Shinoa implodes and it just something happens and it's a mess, it was all worth it for this guy. Just to see him born again by the power of God. Totally worth it. I think of another man who had cancer and after service, no, during service one day, the whole church gathered around and just prayed over this man and, and his wife. Or I think about another young family who has uh, three toddler children and a newborn, and they're, just, they're in the trenches. And people bring them meals, people watch their kids, people pray for them and with them. There are just so many healthy things going on in the body of Christ. I think about one, one couple who was sort of raised in a very legalistic atmosphere, and they've heard gospel, they've heard grace, and they're coming alive in Jesus. They're going to be baptized later this year. Or I think about God's kindness to provide for the work. Kyle, our, our church planting pastor, came to me in January of 2018. And he said, he said hey man, and i kind of seen this coming. He said, I, I need to be done. Me and my wife need to move back to her parents' place in Tennessee. It's just going to be healthier for our family. And Kyle and I had a great relationship, and he, he worked hard and left on good terms. And so it was all good, and, and our church blessed that, that move for his family. But we had no plan B. When he said, I need to be done, we, we had no elders in Shinoa. We had really not even a really defined congregation. We had no plan B. And so we pray, and, and I, I send out emails to a bunch of pastor friends. I'm sure I sent one to Dave, and I said, you know, hey, Anybody know anybody that, that, could, that could replace Kyle? About two days later, one of my heroes in the faith, a man who was a part-time pastor at Christ Church in Normal and who was my mentor 10 years ago when I started in pastoral ministry, his name is Dwayne Otto. He just swings by our church office, sits down, and catches up, and says, hey, how's Shanoa going? Just tell me about it. And we talked for like 20 minutes, and I'm, I'm just thinking I'm filling this guy in who actually lives between Gridley and Shinoa. And about 20 minutes in, he goes, I'm actually interested in, in pastoring that church. And I had, I don't know if I've ever done this, like a jaw-dropping, like physical, like almost fall out of the chair type moment. I'm like, Lord, you, you have a plan B. You have a plan A. You, you God Almighty, are faithful to provide. And so Dwayne stepped into that role and has been leading the church. And so it has been a, an awesome experience to be on mission, knowing that our Heavenly Father is delighted to provide for His people. So that's why I am, I am fired up about Menunk, and I, I don't want to give the wrong impression. It, it's not easy. There have been a number of hard conversations in these past couple years. There have been a number of preferences among the body that have had to, had to die. There have been a lot of confusion, a lot of whiteboard scribbles trying to, to figure things out. Nor do I want to presume 
that God will do in Menunk what he did in Shinoah. He, he may take us into the desert. E- Eric's not here today, so we can say this, right? He, he may take the, the plant team into the desert instead of straight into the promised land. He, he might do that, and he will still be there and good, and it will be worth it. And so I, I am eager, and I speak on behalf of the church in Gridley to say we are eager to be about this work. If you have your Bible, I, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning. 1 Corinthians was uh, a letter written by a church planter, Paul, to a church plant. And the church in Corinth got off to a very rough start. There's divisions and lawsuits and immorality and pride and drunkenness and false teaching and factions. And so just be encouraged if you, if you go on this church plant in Menonk and it gets off to a rough start, it will probably not be as bad in Menonk as in Corinth, and yet God was at work in Corinth. So Paul writes this letter to the church, and at the outset, in chapter 1, he reminds them of the message he preached. He takes them to the basics, the fundamentals of the faith. And the message he preached is the gospel message of Christ crucified. And with our our time that remains this morning, what I want to do is first look at the what. What? What is the message of Christ crucified? And secondly, at the why. Why preach it? Why cling to it? Why as a church plant must this be our everything? So that's, that's the outline, what and then why. Let's pick up together in chapter 1, verse 17. Paul writes, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power and wisdom of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let's stop there. In verse 17, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And that may sound strange, because Christ did send Paul to baptize. He sends all of us to baptize. That's the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And here Paul writes to the church and he says, Jesus didn't send me to baptize. Why does he say that? Because in the church, there were divisions. You see earlier in chapter 1 that some were, were boasting in verse 15 of who they followed, of who baptized them. Some were saying, 
I was baptized by Paul. I was baptized by Apollos. I follow Cephas. I go to Crosspoint. I go to Christ Community. I go to CBF. I go to the church in Minunk. And there was this pride of who, which camp they were in. And Paul goes, what? Jesus didn't send me to put name tags on you. He sent me to, to baptize, but to, to preach the reality of baptism, which is the gospel. That God sent His King, His Son, to this earth in human flesh to die for a sacrifice for sins, to be buried, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, and He's coming again to rule and reign forevermore. Paul says, that's what Jesus called me to do. It's not about me. It's not about Apollos. It's not about Cephas. It's all about Jesus. His mission is to preach not to baptize. And if you jump to verse 22, you see the content of this gospel message. Where Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Christ crucified is the content of the gospel. Now it's, it's more than that, right? It's, it's also the resurrection the hope of eternal life, it's repentance and faith and justification and adoption, it's all those, those good theological words. But it's not less than that. It's Christ crucified. Growing up in church, when I heard the name Jesus Christ, I thought that, that, was, that Christ was Jesus' last name. right? Just like Andy, Hitty, Jesus Christ. But Christ is His title. It would be like saying Tom Quarterback or Donald President. Jesus, the Anointed One. Jesus, the King. And Paul is saying he preaches King crucified. And that, that concept of crucifixion may be a little bit tame in our hearts. We see crosses everywhere. We see crosses in stained glass on NBA players' deltoids and college quarterbacks' eye blacks or crosses. We, we see crosses everywhere, and that's, I'm, all, I'm all for eye black crosses. But it numbs us to the ugliness of the cross. It was a torture instrument, an instrument of ridicule and mockery, an instrument of ultimate Weakness, that if you mess with Rome, Rome's going to nail you to a beam and laugh at you while you die. It was ugly. And Paul writes that his announcement of good news is a message of the king crucified, Christ tortured, Christ mocked. And in fact, verse 18 says that people thought it was foolish. The Greek word here is morion, from which we get moronic. Paul says, I, I preach Christ crucified, and people thought I was a moronic fool. I think if we're all honest, we can say, yeah, that is at face value a foolish message. Have you ever shared the gospel with someone, maybe a, a family member or friend, or been teaching the gospel in some, some way, and the person looks at you like, you believe that? 
You see, we probably, a lot of us hang out with a lot of Christians. And so we say, we talk about Jesus dying on a cross for sins and raising from the dead and all that. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But to someone outside the faith, that message sounds crazy. You're putting your hope on a guy who lived 2,000 years ago who was nailed to a beam? You, you believe that? And I think if we're honest, we as believers ought to say, that is a foolish-sounding message. And yet, as we'll see in 1 Corinthians, it is, the, it is truly the wisdom and power of God. As Paul preached, people wanted to hear something else. They wanted to hear a flashier, fancier message. Verse 22 says the, the, the Jews wanted to see signs. The Jews had their Old Testament of God's power and the hope of the coming king. The Jews wanted to see something that was impressive and had splendor and, and royalty and that, that this king would come and really showcase the power and glory of God. They couldn't understand the paradox of a, of a king suffering. The Greeks, it says, wanted wisdom. Corinth is only about 50 miles from the famed city of philosophy, Athens, where Greek philosophers sat around in their togas, and they were the celebrities of the day with fine-sounding rhetoric, and they talked about this one question, kind of the core question of philosophy is, how does one attain the good life? How does one attain what is truly good and beautiful? And they spun their ideas and their philosophies and sold their books and gathered their Twitter followers and pushed their ideas. And it's into this culture that Paul comes with the message of Christ crucified and put yourself in his shoes for a second. You're sitting there, and these celebrity philosophers with fine-sounding arguments are ooing and aahing the crowds. And you're thinking, man, what I have to say is pretty dumb. <laughs> I'm going to get up there, and I'm going to say that God's Son came in the flesh, and He calls people to re repent, to change their lives, and to take up a cross and deny themselves and follow Him in faith, Paul had to be thinking, this isn't going to go well. People are going to mock me. And I think, I think if I'm Paul, what I would really want to do is spice up my presentation. Right? Like, okay, all right. I need a killer worship band. And then people will listen. No, 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 no. I need, I need a fog machine. That'll, that'll draw, draw the crowd in. Or, or a great children's minister. No, no, no. Here it is. I need to sound really smart. I need to read a lot of books and use big words and really practice my presentation so that I sound smart. Then people will follow Jesus. Look at verse 17 with me. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Jump ahead to chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, 
Look at this. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul decided to know nothing except Christ crucified. He, he chose as a ministry strategy a foolish way to plant a church. And make no mistake, Paul could have held his own with those philosophers. Acts chapter 5, Philippians chapter 3 tell us that he was well-educated in one of the best schools of the Old Testament. Paul was a good orator if he wanted to be, if he needed to be. And yet he decides to know nothing except Christ crucified. Why? Why does he do that? He didn't want the, the, the offense of the cross to be covered over and lost in fine-sounding, fine fluffy speech. Paul did not want the offense of the cross, the message of Jesus Christ, to be lost and for people to think that Paul was just another philosopher advocating just another way of living to be a better you in the new year. Paul wanted to set Jesus Christ front and center, that all people would know the message of Jesus and not be bait and switched into the kingdom because he can't be bait and switched into the kingdom of God. Therefore, he decided to be a fool, to know nothing and to plainly set out this message of Christ crucified front and center, loud and clear that all people who trusted in Christ would know what they are signing up for, a crucified and risen Savior. And this is a caution for us, for us churches, as we partner together to plant in Manunk. The caution is this. Sometimes things that look successful on earth are not successful in the sight of heaven. It's possible to do things in life and in ministry and in church planting that appear successful, that everyone says, that's great, good work, but which are not successful in the sight of God. When I was 16 years old, I was standing in the batter's box in O'Fallon, Illinois, in the American Legion State Baseball Championship Tournament. When I got the sign from my coach, we were down one run. There were runners on second and third base. My coach gave me the sign, and it was the secret play that we had practiced. The pitcher wound up and threw the ball, and I squared to bunt, and I bunted down the first base line. The runner on third, I know this is getting baseball complex here. The runner on third scored, tie ball game. I'm running to first base. The umpire at first is watching the, plate, the play there. The umpire at home plate is watching home plate for the runner scoring. The guy on second base intentionally, as we had planned, rounded third base by about 15 to 20 feet inside the base and took off for home. The other team's coach saw it and went livid, but neither umpire did, just as my coach had planned. He slid under the tag. We won the ball game 2-1, to one, and it was glorious for us 16-year-olds. It was the Sandlot mountaintop. We got the trophies, the medals, the newspaper article, all that. But underneath it all was the stubborn fact 
that we cheated. We cheated. It's possible to succeed on this earth in church planting, in business, in parenting, in school, in whatever we do. It's possible to succeed and absolutely fail in God's sight, which is, I think we would agree, the only opinion that ultimately matters. It is possible, and I want to be sobered up about this, it is possible for us to succeed in Manunk, to have a great Sunday morning experience, but to achieve that in a way that is failure in God's sight. It is possible to even draw a big crowd in Manunk and and call it a success, but to do so in a manner that is not faithful to the purity of the gospel. We are not going there to get a big crowd, though I hope we are praying that every single person in Manunk, Winona, Toluca, Dana, Rutland, LaRose, and everything in between repents. We want that. But more than anything, we need to go faithfully with the purity of the gospel preaching Christ crucified. For Christ crucified is the wisdom and power of God. So that's the what. What is Christ crucified? But now, why? Why does Paul say this has got to be the main thing? So we continue on, jump to verse 28, we see the why. In 28 he writes, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Read that again. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one boast, boast in the Lord. Why is Christ crucified the wisdom of God? We've got to get this. Why is Christ crucified the wisdom of Almighty God? Verse 29. So that no human being might boast in His presence. From Genesis to Revelation, we see that one of man's chief problems is pride. We love ourselves. We love taking and getting credit and boasting in self. We love self. It's pride. And pride takes many forms. When I I, I think about pride, I often associate it with arrogance. Arrogance is sort of this this chest-thumping, I'm the man swag that we'll probably see on TV tonight strutting around the field. Certainly, arrogance is a type of pride. But there's another type of pride that's much subtler. It goes like this. I've lived a good life. Said no to drugs. Loved my spouse. At least better than those other guys at church. I was a good employee. I hardly ever missed church. Even on the snow days, I showed up at church. I volunteered for the VBS director position when the VBS director was planning a wedding. I'm a pretty 
pretty good person. That's not arrogance in the typical sense, but it's pride. It's boasting in self. God chose the weak things in this world like Christ crucified so that, verse 28, so that no human being may boast in His presence. Think with me for a moment how terrifyingly foolish it is to boast in the presence of God. Imagine in your mind the radiant white presence of the Lord God Almighty, the maker of galaxies, sustainer of molecules, the one who is holy, 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 and you strut into His presence thinking that He owes you something. You've impressed Him. Your life somehow merits His favor. That is moronic. That is foolishness. It's terrifying. See, God's plan of salvation is not a program of living wisely so that we fix up our lives and become decent people and stand before God someday and say, I did it, Lord. That's not salvation. In fact, this is one of the truths that distinguishes Christianity from, I think, every other major world religion. The religions of the world are a system of self-improvement, of works, of fixing ourselves up. It's a message that we can do it if we try really hard, but Christianity is, is not that message. It's the message of grace, that we are sinners in need of being saved, not saving self. That God saves us, we don't save ourselves. This is why the message of Christ crucified is essential in our churches now, and Lord willing, in a church that He will plant in Menunk. Because the Pharisees had religious gatherings. The Pharisees had scripture and prayer and songs and potlucks and all sorts of good things. And Jesus said, your hearts are far from me. Their religion was a self-improvement project. God's salvation is not about cleaning ourselves up. It's about being rescued by Him so that He and He alone gets all the glory in salvation. And that's why Christ crucified is the wisdom of God. It shows the depth of man's sin, the fact that God must save us. And all we can do, all we can do is depend upon His saving power for us. The cross of Christ flattens human pride, which we need so badly. It's the message that we are guilty sinners and our sin deserves the wrath of God. Sometimes I think, I think that word sinner is even too tame for us. Right? Church folks, many of you assume are, you've been around a while. It's easy to call yourself a sinner. I think we forget the vileness of our, of our sins. The cross of Christ screams at us, sin is ugly. Sin is evil. It is wicked. And simultaneously, the cross of Christ says, God has done something about the ugliness of sin. As Colossians 2 says, our sins are nailed to the cross and the record of debt is canceled. To receive this canceling, this forgiveness, we repent and we believe. 
We just receive it. We receive the rescue of God. And so the Christian message is not that over time we sort of clean our lives up. The Christian message, as John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace said, is I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. All we have to boast in, as verse 31 says, is the Lord. That's why this is the wisdom of God. We bring nothing to the table in our salvation. Nothing except for the sin that makes it necessary. Therefore, we worship Him rather than than us. That that God is the rescuer instead of this this system of self-rescue. So so what we need today and every day and what Menunk needs and what the world needs is not a plan to fix up our lives because that will just make us think that life is still about us. We don't need more self. We need more God. We need a message of a, of a self-crushing, God-exalting glory. Menunk needs, Gridley needs, Eureka needs a big God, a glorious, star-creating, universe-sustaining God whom angels fall down before. We need a a picture of a big God that is so glorious that it's not only laughable, it's terrifying to think we would walk in His presence and say, Lord, I did it. That's why the cross of Christ is His wisdom. It flattens us, it exalts Him, and it displays His rescue in an unlikely means. So just for a moment, let's, let's forget about Menunk. Let's just think about souls right here in this room. Is your boast in Jesus Christ alone? Or are you taking confidence before the Lord in yourself? A couple years ago, an 80-year-old was baptized at our church. And it was an awesome morning. Because this guy, was a, he was a nice guy. He was a moral man. Many people looked up to him and respected him. But he was headed to the throne room of God, trusting in himself. And on that day when he was baptized, he said, no, 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 no. My boast is in Jesus Christ alone. He turned from self-rescue to Savior rescue on that day. And I just just want to put that out there. Could it be that here today, there are some who are trusting in self, maybe not in an arrogant type of way, but in that subtle pride that you've lived a good life and surely God will welcome you in. It's not gospel. And if that's you today, I want you to know that Christ was crucified so that you may not boast in yourself. You can turn to Jesus today in faith, be baptized into His name, and put all your confidence in Christ. So when you meet the Lord, you fall before Him and you say, I have nothing, but Jesus has everything for me. He's my sufficient Savior. This is good news. This is what I'm I'm fired up about. This is what I I long to see taken to Menunk. And I know Eric is is eager to preach true 
good news. It was good news for the people in Corinth 2,000 years ago. It's good news for us today. It's good news for, news for Menach. We have a message of free grace. We have a message for Menunk and the surrounding communities that is countercultural, and it will sound foolish and yet be true wisdom that God rescues us. We don't rescue ourselves. This is good news that we get to, sh- to share. That Eric gets to go into Menunk and say, humbly, sinner, there's a Savior. He gets to say to people who are looking, just like we are, for ways to improve their lives. It's not going to be the answer. There's a Savior that you can rest in. He gets to say, guilty one, there is cleansing. You who are weary of trying to prove yourself, find peace and rest in Christ. You who have regrets, Jesus Christ can redeem them. You who have shame, the Lord, your Savior, welcomes you with open arms. This is the message we get to share. Christ crucified the wisdom and power of God. And this message powerfully changes lives. And I hope even this morning you're thinking about how, you've, how it's changed your life. I think of a, a younger family in our church. A couple years ago, they had just moved to Gridley. And a contractor from our church went to their house to give them a bid on, on some work they wanted done. And the contractor said, hey, I see you're new here. I go to church down the street. Uh, if you want to come, we meet at 9 a.m. and we'd love to save you a seat. And so uh, a couple weeks later, this, this couple comes to, to church. He was raised nominally Catholic. Like knew a little bit of stuff, but didn't really go to church. And when he did, didn't really care to be there. He comes to church and The first day they're there, a lady sees that they have a newborn and she comes up to them, probably a little bit creepy to be honest, but I think the love of Jesus and says, you have a baby. I'd I'd love to make you some meals. So our church family just makes them some meals and shows them the love of Christ. A couple months later, someone else invites them to join one of of their community groups. He starts reading the Bible for the first time. And one day this guy comes up to me and he says, I've never heard this stuff before. I'm like, what do you mean, stuff? Grace. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's pretty good, isn't it? A couple of weeks later, he comes up to me after a sermon, and he says, I need to commit my life to Jesus Christ. I said, you do. You do. A couple, couple months later, he's baptized into the name of Christ. Now there's not just one baby, but, but another one who will be dedicated in our church next week. And now this born-again believer is sharing this message of Christ crucified with his brothers, with his, his co-workers, and he's eager to share Christ. And I'm so passionate about not only his story, but how that can happen in Menunk, because that is basically my story. When my parents were that age and they were carrying me to church in a little baby carrier, they were not believers, and they just went because somebody invited them. And they heard the message of Christ crucified. My parents were repented and believed and were born again. And in fifth grade, my dad sat me down at the kitchen table and walked me through a Bible study. And I remember where I was when I said, Jesus is Lord of my life. And now I have four kids. I'm trying to sit them down at the table and share them with them the message of Jesus. And there's this generational effect from the simple message of Christ 
crucified. And I believe with my whole heart, as I assume you do, that there are people in Minunk who do not yet have the hope of Christ. And Eric and his team are going to say, hey, there's a church starting up down the road. And somebody's going to walk in with a baby carrier or not. They're going to get some meals. And they're going to get the love of Christ. And they're going to hear the message. And by God's grace and by his power, they will repent and believe. And it's not just they who will be changed forevermore. If that's not good enough, it's generations. So that's why I'm thrilled to go into Menunk and preach Christ crucified because it is the wisdom and the power of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we are here believing that in Your sovereign, mysterious plan, You have people in Menunk who will hear and believe and be born again. And we believe that there will be a generational effect where You will rebuild ruins. When You will take ashes and resurrect them into beauty. And we pray that You will guard Eric and guard the team and guard the purity of the message that is preached that it may be decided that Christ crucified and Christ alone is the wisdom and power of God. O oh Lord, do Your mighty work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.